Um, welcome again for those of you guys that are uh, new. It's a point. This is our, our church family gathering, and we're always grateful for the time to be together. Um, today is also the first Sunday of the month, and that's a significant Sunday in, in, in a, for us because we do something a little different um, in that this year, uh, God was leading our, our leaders uh, to, to basically take the first Sunday of the month and teach on a psalm of ascent and actually have different uh, people from our congregation speak to that. And so today, Russell Hutzler is going to get to share uh, from Psalm 126, and he'll tell you a little bit more about that. If you don't know what a psalm of ascent is, that's okay, uh, but we'll explain more of that. Um, but thankful for that. And then also, if you're new to Point uh, and you want to understand more about who we are, what we're about, and how you can get more connected, uh, then we also have a lunch immediately following. It'll be back here on the right, and so we'll serve up some, some good pizza. So even if you're like new and you're not real sure you want to stick around, but you just want free pizza, um, feel, feel free to do that. We won't be offended by that. Um, but uh, yeah, we're grateful that, you know, again, we're here. Uh, one of the things we say all the time, I, I hope you hear us say this, is we, we don't believe that God wants uh, church gatherings to be a spectator sport. We don't want everyone just to sit there and like, hey, okay, do your show for us, right? Teach, teach us, uh, sing for us. It's we all participate. And so we invite you regularly. You hear us say things like, hey, if God is leading you or if you want to uh, come and share something, we invite you to do that. And before Russell comes, Vaughn just said, I think the Lord's given me something I want to share. So I'm going to ask him to come up and share that. And then um, our, our guys, I think James is actually going to come and read the scripture for today. And we'll transition into our message. But J Vaughn, why don't you come share what God's put on your heart? Aloha, everybody. Um, I just want to read some scripture here from Mark. Uh, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Jesus called these 12 guys to be with him. That's what it says. He said he appointed 12 so that they might be with him. And I feel like God wants to remind us that we're caught up in a story where God wants to be with us. And you might feel like God doesn't want to be with me. Why would he want to be with me? But actually the story starts in a garden with a man and a woman who spend time walking with God. And then later on in the story, we read about a new Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah. And God walks with them through the land that he's going to give them where they're going to become a nation. And then when they become a nation, God tells them to build a tent that he might dwell amongst them. That's what he wants. He wants to be with them. And then they build a temple as they get established in the land. And God's presence comes. And dwells in the temple and fills the temple because God wants to be with them. And then we become a living temple as we put our faith in Jesus. And Jesus indwells us by his spirit. His spirit lives in us because he wants to be with us. And then we get to the end of the story, the climax in Revelation. And we read about a new garden city. That's a temple. That's a bride. All these metaphors get mixed together. And it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That doesn't just mean men, that means with humans, with men and women, with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. It's why the psalmist writes, one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I ask of him, that I may dwell in the house of God all the days of my life, and I may gaze upon his beauty, and I may inquire in the temple of the Lord. One thing, God wants us to dwell with him because he wants to dwell with us. And you're caught up in that story. We're all caught up in a story of dwelling with God. So let me just encourage you, because this is what I think God wants to encourage us with, is he wants to be with you, so be with him. Okay, I'm going to actually read this scripture. James is going to pray. <laughs> so it's up above. If you want to read along, that'd be great. Make me feel more comfortable. A Song of Ascents, or Psalms 126, the Song of Ascents. Uh, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who, dr who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the... I don't know how to say that word. Najib? Najib? Okay, yeah. Uh, those who sow in, in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Father God, we come with you with thanks in our hearts. Uh, we're grateful and thankful to be in a nation where we can openly worship you and love you. Uh, we thank you for this church family that you have brought together to love one another and to love you. We uh, pray that you open our hearts and open our minds to receive your word today. Uh, work in us, Father God. Help us be the light that this world needs at this time. Help us shine your love onto everyone else. Uh, please be with Russ as he speaks with us today. Uh, pour your wisdom into him so that he can guide us through your word, Father God. Also, uh, please keep on our minds, keep in our hearts that whatever we're going through, whether it's good, whether it's bad, like the songs from earlier today say, you know, we find our rest, we find our peace, and that whatever we're going through, at the end of it, your promise will be fulfilled. Uh, that you have provided everything we need to get through whatever we're going through. You've given us the tools, you've given us the strength, you've given us the wisdom, you've given us the family, and you've given us the word. So give us the strength to either, you know, pick up that book, pick up our phone, make that call, reach out to whatever support we need, but at the end, we know that your faithfulness and, and your promise will be fulfilled in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.
Good morning. <clears throat> Man, it is just such a blessing to be here. I'm so excited. Um, sitting over there worshiping, I just felt like God told me to. He said, you need to get up there and just say, come on. <laughs> and so, so I don't, he, <laughs> I'm super excited. Um, I'm excited to teach on this passage. Yeah, I, I'm a Louisiana boy, I'm a country boy, and so like that's my version of amen. And I feel like <clears throat> I, I feel like the the worship team, uh, the songs that they played, I mean, just I don't know. It's really cool how the spirit works. Um, I know I get up here and say that a lot. The spirit moves and it's true. Um whoop. my sheets are messed up, so. All right. So yeah. Uh, so like Nick said, my name's Russell. Uh, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. Uh, I'm a Louisiana boy, just up here trying to do my part, um, participate in the church. <clears throat> and I'm thankful to the Father uh, that he's allowed me to do that. So here we go. Let's dive in. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so Psalm 126. Thanks for reading it, guys. It's good. Um, I'm going to basically give kind of a brief overview um, of the psalm. Where's my phone? I'm going to pull it up. By the way, we're in a transition period, so I, uh, my Bible is packed away, unfortunately, so I'm doing everything on phones. So, sorry about that. Okay, good. <clears throat> All right. So um, basically through uh, my research and just my study of the word of, the, of this text, um, it's pretty clear and evident, like, this is a, a song of celebration, right? It's a song of joy. Um, however, there's, there's kind of a twist on it, and I really want to dive into that, that part. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, so this psalm is broken up, broken up into two stanzas, and I feel like uh, the first stanza, uh, one through three, is is a prayer um, to the Lord, just basically praising Him, uh, praising what He's done for the people of Israel. Um, and so then the second stanza, which is verses four through six, uh, is basically a prayer request, almost. Um, it's a a plea to the Father uh, because they have now found themselves back into a, a struggling situation. And so they're, they're coming with a desperate cry for, the, for, for God to change their circumstance again. But then also um, the second half is basically just a understanding that their heart posture is in the wrong spot. And so they're, they're kind of speaking out to the Father like, hey, those who sow in tears are going to reap shouts of joy. Uh, the one who goes along weeping, carrying seed and doing the work, um, will come back with shouts of joy, right? So it's, <clears throat> how do I say it? Um, it's a, um, yeah, it's like a, a restoration of their heart perspective. They're, they're praying to the Father to give them the strength to be able to do that, but then also kind of a self-reminder that they need, that's what they need to do, right? They They can't just 
way over and not do anything. And so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I've, just a hit brief history. Um, we can dive in to uh, verses 1 and 2. Um, it says, When the Lord restored the for- fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter then, our tongues were sou- with shouts of joy. Um, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So basically, the, the people of Israel are, are, uh, are celebrating the restoration of Zion after uh, the Babylonian exile. And so I don't know if how many people have read through that or know what that is, but it was a 70-year period where uh, the people of Israel were taken captive by Babylon. And so they lived in captivity um, with a lot of suffering and a lot of hardship. So this psalm, the psalmist writes this after they have been brought out of that, and they're basically, he's praising the Father for God's faithfulness, right, to, to fulfill that promise. Um, then, um, yeah, and so verse 3, it says, The Lord had done great things for us, and we were joyful. Oh, sorry, yeah. Verses 2 and 3 kind of go together. Basically, God had done such a mighty work that even the pagan cultures around, um, even the pagan cultures that were surrounding Israel at the time, took notice. And they were like, man, Yahweh fixed y'all up. That's good. <laughs> like, yeah, he did, a good, he did a good job. And so that's really cool to think about, like, God did, God did such a mighty work that even people who didn't believe in God were like, Man, something something's up there. Like, we acknowledge that your Yahweh is the God of gods, or right. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, um, verses four. I kind of I kind of already hinted on this. Um, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like water courses in the Gev. Um, this is the desperate plea and the prayer request of like changes instantly. Change, you know, like we want an instant transformation, right? Um, we want to. <coughs> We want you to change our circumstance. And then 5 and 6, we, I kind of already said that. Uh, so in tears, reap with shouts of joy. They're basically just kind of reaffirming, like, we know that it's hard right now. We're going to cry. It's going to be tears. But we know eventually, like, based on what you've done in the past, we know our tears are going to be eventually turned to joy. Like, we know that the harvest is going to come if we plant seeds, right? All right. So that's my brief overview of kind of the text and giving a little historical context to post-Babylonian exile through the hardships and stuff. Um, Just through the study, I had a lot of wrestling through this, where I wanted to go with this passage and what I felt like God was teaching me. And I moved from like, let's talk about the joy. Yeah, that's great. Well, then, but... In, under, in able to understand the joy, you have to understand what God brought them through. So then I was like, let's talk about suffering. We're going to just ha- hammer suffering, right? And so then I was like, mm, that may not be the best course of action. We'll just get up here and slam people all day. So, yeah, so I moved away from that one real quickly. And this is why I feel like God told me to say, give me a come on. Because earlier in the week, it landed on me. He was like, teach about my faithfulness. Teach about my faithfulness. And 
the, th the three songs that we sang, it's like almost word for word for my outline that I have. It's really crazy. Um, so yeah, so after a brief history of the text and what we decided to go, where I decided to go with this, um, what does this passage tell us about God's faithfulness? And so for the first point um, that I have, it's God's faithfulness produces joy. He <laughs> couldn't have picked a better song, right? <clears throat> All right, so verse one, th one through three, depict the immense overflowing joy and praise for what God did. Um, why, why were they so joyous? Why, why was this such a big deal? So talking about the Babylonian exile, I, I read the entire book of Jeremiah. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. It's pretty rough. Jeremiah is considered the weeping prophet, and it's a brutal text, right? It talks a lot about the Babylonian exile. It talks a lot about the suffering. It talks about the sin that Israel had committed. And so <clears throat> just to give you kind of a, a brief synopsis of the sin, the Israelites had decided to move away from worshiping Yahweh, and they were worshiping Baal. They were worshiping other pagan gods. They were even sacrificing their own children and burning them as burnt offerings to Baal. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to do that. That's pretty intense. I don't want to burn my child, especially to some pagan god, right? So God was really furious with them. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, he, he, he basically conjured up the storm and sent Babylon to overtake them. And the ones that survived the attack were the ones that went into exile. Um, it, was a, it was a brutal, it was a brutal uh, time. So uh, I'm going to read uh, Jeremiah 25, 8 through 12. I think we're going to put it on the screen. Yep. All right, let me get to it. Actually, I may just read it from here so I don't have to find it. All right. It says, therefore, this is what the Lord of hosts says. Because you have not obeyed my words, I am going to send for all the families of the north. This is the Lord's declaration. And send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And I will bring them against this land, against its residents and against all these surrounding nations. And I will completely destroy them and make them a desolation, a derision and ruins forever. I will, I will eliminate the sound of joy and gladness from them. The voice of the groom and the bride, <clears throat> the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land will become a desolate ruin and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. When the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. This is the Lord's declaration. The land of the Chaldeans for their guilt and I will make it a ruin forever. So where I'm going with this. My point, my point is, God was God sovereign over their exile. He was sovereign over their suffering. This was a, a penance and a punishment for the sin that they had committed against him. And it was brutal. Um, like I said, they, many people died. It was a lot, of, a lot of bad things. However, God remained faithful to the exiles. Um, two of the most famous stories in the Bible, I'm sure you guys have heard of them, 
come from the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel in the lion's den is one of them. And the second one is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when I get thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing to Nebuchadnezzar's statue that he built. And so even in the hardships, even in the suffering, God was still there. He, he still showed up. And he produced a lot of good things through the exile. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, I have a quote from Paul Tripp, Paul David Tripp. If you guys don't have this book, I think you should get it. It's great. It's Newborn Mercies. I'm not supposed to, I guess I'm not supposed to advocate for people's books, but it, I love it. All right, so uh, this quote from, from Tripp says, Remember what is out of your control exists under the careful control of the one who is all-knowing, all-wise, and all-good. He continues on down at the bottom here. It says, There will be points when life won't make sense to you. At times you will wish that life could be different. There will be moments when you feel unprepared for what is on your plate. In these moments, look up and remember that above it all, there is a throne, and on it sits a God of unimaginable majesty, ruling for all his glory and for your good. Man, that's good. I'm glad our God is faithful. <laughs> so the joy that Israel felt... Um, wasn't, in my opinion, it wasn't truly because they had their fortunes restored. It was because God was faithful to fulfill the promise that after the 70 years was up, he was going to restore them, and he did. That's where their ultimate joy came from, God's faithfulness through the suffering because it's part of his sovereign plan. All right, moving on. Second point, God's faithfulness produces beauty. But there's a caveat. There's a, there's a little warning here. Because while it does produce beauty, it's always in his perfect timing. It's not in ours. And so where I'm going with this, verse 4, it illustrates it perfectly. It's, our, it's, it's the Israelites' desperate plea, right? Verse 4, what's it say? Uh, Restore our fortunes like the water courses of the Negev, right? That's what it says? Yeah. Um, through, <laughs> through some of my research, I wanted to kind of understand what, why they chose the water courses of the Negev, right? Like, what's significant about that? So, I found a couple of pictures. Um, the Negev is a desert in the, in the southern region of Israel. This is it during the dry season. It's barren. There's nothing there. It's empty. It's a wasteland. But then, when the rainy season starts, when spring happens, or their spring, this is what it turns into. Beautiful wildflowers everywhere. Crazy. Now, we live in Texas, right? We have dry seasons, and it, you spit dust all day long. But when, when February and March come, right, we're in April, there's blue bonnets blooming everywhere, and they're gorgeous. The point, the point that the Israelites are making is that they understand that God does, God does miraculous work and he's powerful to change in an instant, right? So they're pleading for that. But they also understand that it may not happen when they want it to happen. <clears throat> yeah, 
God's people knew he could change things because of his record of faithfulness for them. Um, God works in his own timing, and it's perfect, and it, and it creates beauty. Um, Isaiah 55, 8, verses 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So this is just an illustration that God doesn't work on our page. And yes, we pray for him to change our circumstances. But how often is that out of a motivation for him, for, for us to get God onto our page? Right? We, I know speaking for me personally, there, I can look back and recount several instances where I prayed prayers and was like, man, God, I, don't, like, I know you're good, but I don't trust that right now. I don't feel that right now. You, I need you to do something because it's, it's hard. We're in a hard spot. Um, but yeah, just remembering that <laughs> in that moment, I mean, back to the, the trip quote, like, he's on his throne. He's reigning, right? Um, Romans 8, 28. It's another one that we should remember. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And so in those moments of desperation, when we're pleading and asking the Father to change our, heart, to change our circumstances, what we should be doing is realigning our hearts and our focus to him and understanding that we're in the season that we're in for a reason and that he's going to faithfully see us through to the end. And so... That ultimately is what produces the beauty, right? God's faithfulness produces beauty. It may look ugly right now, and we may not understand it. But when we come through it because of his faithfulness and because he's, he works in his own timing, it turns something ugly into, into something beautiful. All right. Um, moving on to the third point. Now, moving really fast. Sorry. Um, we're, we're probably going to get out early, so just... <laughs> Y'all can thank me later. <laughs> All right. Uh, God's faithfulness produces obedience. Ooh. Stepping on some toes now. Oh, five and six. I feel like five and six are kind of the meat of this passage, right? The first four verses were fluff and not fluff, but like fantastical, you know. You're, you're joyous. We celebrate you, right? Which is we, sh we should. But this is where it gets hard. This is where rubber meets the road. Um, agricultural, right? They pulled in ag agricultural uh, images, which would have really rang true um, for the people of Israel. These guys didn't have an HEB to go to to buy groceries, right? They grew everything. They had to work the land. They had to raise cattle. Um, I don't know how many of you in here are farmers or have done any farming, but like I said earlier, I'm a country boy. I grew up working on a farm. All my family farms, most of my grandparents and aunts and uncles, we grow stuff. That's just what we do. And so I think it, maybe I'm biased, but I think it takes a special kind of person 
to be a farmer, it, there's a lot of faith and a lot of dependency um, to go out and plant seed and do really hard work not knowing if your crop's going to produce or not, right? Um, there's so many things you can't predict, you can't change, you can't determine uh, weather, bugs, uh, I don't know, cost of different things that you need, machinery breaking down now, or back in those days, I don't know, maybe their cattle died or something. So the, the ox that was pulling the yoke got sick and they couldn't, you know what I mean? Like there's so many different things that, you could, you could go with that is not in your control. However, I, I feel like this scripture really nails it home. Five and six. Um, sorry, I'm moving. I, I'm, my phone keeps cutting off and then it kicks me out. All right. <clears throat> Sowing in tears, reaping shouts of joy. Like I said before, they say this because they know that their tears will eventually turn to joy, right? But what I think they're getting at is that sowing, there's two parts. Sowing is hard, and it requires a lot of work. But then also, just because something else is happening in your life that makes it even harder doesn't mean that you don't sow, right? Right? If, if a farmer decided to say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to get enough rain this year, I ain't going to plant, what's going to happen? He's not going to have any crop. It's better to plant and to trust that God's going to see you through than to not plant at all. And so I think that that's what these two verses are really talking about. Um, sowing seeds when it's hard. Being obedient to the Father's call when it's hard. Um, his faithfulness, because we can look back and go through time, and I'm sure everybody in here, if you got a pulse, you've had a hard season. You're, you're either in a hard season, you're coming out of a hard season, or you're going into a hard season. Like, there's the, that's the three, the three phases of life that we live in, right? This side of redemption and new earth and new creation and new heaven. Um. <clears throat> yeah. God calls us to be obedient, even when suffering is hard, and even when life sucks. Um. I have a quote from John Piper. It says, "Suffering in the path of Christian obedience." with joy, is the clearest display of the worth of God in our lives. Therefore, faith-filled suffering is essential in this world for the most intense, authentic worship. When we are most satisf satisfied with God in suffering, He will be most glorified in us in worship. Our problem is not styles of music. Our problem is styles of life. When we embrace more affliction for the worth of Christ, there will be more fruit in the worship of Christ. Bring it, Piper. That's, that doesn't sound fun. Embracing suffering for the worth of Christ. Um, 
I can tell you it's, it's really good when, you, when you're able to do that. The, the faithfulness that you experience from the Father is so much more abundant when you're going through suffering and you look to him. How quick we are to look to other things, how quick we are to run to other things, how quick we are to um, ask for the circumstance to change, <laughs> like in verse 4. What we, need to, what we need to be doing is listening to the Father's call and being obedient to his will. Um, yeah. It's good. So I hope I, I, hope I displayed that. <laughs> Uh, God's faithfulness, what this passage talks about. God's faithfulness produces joy. God's faithfulness produces beauty in his own timing. God's faithfulness produces obedience. Um, wrapping up, I would say, I pose the question, what's the most evident display of God's faithfulness throughout history, throughout the earth? It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ. The sin that the Israelites had to pay penance for, had to, had the punishment for, their wives are being taken, their children are being killed in front of them. Like that punishment that they endured because of the sin that they were committing, Jesus took that. He became that sin. He went to that cross pleading with the Father beforehand, the night before, pleading if there was any other way for, father, for the Father to take the cup from him. But Hebrew says he went to the cross because he knew the joy that was set before him. I mean, this wraps it all up, right? Suffering, please change it. Nope. It's joy. Joy. If you have never experienced Jesus, I encourage you. If you feel the call today, if you feel that uh, prick on your heart stirring, the Spirit's moving, like, I encourage you, don't wait. Like, take the dive. Jump in, see what he's got, because I can promise you he's better than anything this world can offer you. And for us, who call ourselves Jesus followers, are we being obedient to the Father's call? That's the challenge. Are we sowing, sowing in tears? Are we sowing in tears? Or are we laying over and saying, nope, we're not planting. We ain't doing it. Mm-hmm. That's hard. So yeah, I encourage you. If you feel the call, if you're, if you're, same thing. If you're feeling a stirring, be obedient. Follow what the God, follow what God has for you. It will be so much better than what you're pursuing right now. Let's pray. Father, yeah, I just, I just praise you for your faithfulness. 
I praise you for scripture and for the word, for the Holy Spirit to come and, um, and to help us interpret, um, just to, to grow and, and go, grow closer to you. I praise you for your sovereignty, sovereignty in the good things and sovereignty in the bad, suffering for you is better than life itself, so I just pray that, that we'd embrace that, just like the Piper quote said, like, if we'd embrace more suffering, not, not go out and look for it. But understand that it's coming. Embrace it for your worth, for the worth of the gospel. Yeah, we praise you for Jesus, for his willingness to go and become sin so that we would not have to endure the punishment that the Israelites did in that passage. Thank you for his resurrection and the defeat of, of, of death. And we just, we praise you. We know that the end is coming and that you are victorious. So we praise you for that. That we will one day, like Vaughn said, we can, you're dwelling inside of us here and now. But we know that we will get to dwell with you in the new heaven. And man, we can't wait for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we wrap up our time this morning, we invite you to respond. And um, just to be clear on what we mean by that, um, we invite you to talk to the Father. Ask Him how He wants you to respond. Um, the response should be a worship awe, reverence, uh, a willingness to obey and surrender to him. Uh, you know, he's for us, not against us. Isn't that good to know? He's not against us, he's for us. And so his invitation is always to, to come and experience the freedom of, of walking with him, aligning our hearts with him. And so uh, maybe you need someone to pray you so maybe somebody sitting near you that you came with or you feel comfortable with pray with them maybe you need to just go pray by yourself and there's a prayer room to my right and you can we don't really have an altar here but you're welcome to come and just kneel down here and pray um, some of our leaders will be around some of our prayer team some of our leaders will be available if you need prayer you can pray that way but um, we just want to respond in obedience to what the father is saying okay and um as he stirs us, let's not ignore those stirrings. They're for our good. And he, again, is, is working. So we want to just surrender and submit to that, okay? So we invite you to do that as we sing, and then we'll continue on.